Hi there, and welcome to the Interiors Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Neufeld-Flanagan, expat and interior designer based in Dublin, Ireland. This show is all about informing and inspiring you, homeowners and renters in Ireland, on all things around property, housing, and home, from self-building to choosing flooring. In each episode, we interview industry experts and homeowners to give you practical advice and the motivation to create and elevate your spaces. Welcome back to the Interiors Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Neufeld-Flanagan, and I'm here with Kieran McCarthy, who you may know as one of the hosts of Cheap Irish Homes. So Kieran, thank you so much for being here with us at the time of recording. It's the Easter bank holiday weekend, and I feel really lucky to have uh, an Irish property celebrity on air with me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, you know how you ended up being the expert builder on the show. Hi, Tanya. So, yeah, so look, I, I grew up in Middleton and I uh, went to school in Middleton, went to college in UCC, studied civil engineering. And then when I left civil engineering, went out into the workforce. And uh, whereas I kind of enjoyed the course, I didn't really want to be penned up in a design office. Um, I kind of wanted to be out and about. So I ended up working for kind of building companies rather than going straight into design like most engineers do. So I worked for big companies like um, Sisks in Cork and Hegarty's in Dublin, Murphy's in the UK. So I got a lot of big company building experience um, on big building sites with, you know, 100, 200 people working on them, um, working in um, working in UCC on the Applied Business and Languages Centre. And I worked with Hegarty's in Dublin, uh, building uh, the NACE General Hospital, whatever. So some very interesting wow. projects here. So you got a lot, a lot of um, very broad-based experience in working with people and working with machinery and working with very detailed drawings and big teams and everything else. Um, but I, at the end of all that, I kind of wanted to go out and kind of do it my way, I suppose. So I got into to building and uh, I building under my own name, and I began to realize that my favorite type of building was was house building. Like I liked the architectural end of building rather than the, the commercial or the industrial end because I liked design and I liked kind of architectural design. And then I realized I liked house building because of the design aspect and the kind of architectural design and house building. And that was kind of changing at the time because uh, there was a, there was you were heading into kind of the recession and there was more architects available and they were pouring more of their time and energy and skills into house building um, because at the time that was more... Uh, engineer led because architects were involved in the commercial um the commercial business and that became more interesting so we started specializing in kind of extensions uh, okay. and kind of architect designed extensions and then we kind of worked our way into one off houses and kind of as we got into like 2013 ish like the recession was still really strong in in Ireland and in Cork we kind of felt the need to offer a little bit more to the market um, than was being offered. And I was, I've always seen construction as something that's that's not very user friendly. And I, mm. I, I couldn't understand why. Uh, and I kind of wanted to do something about that because anyone thinking of building an extension or building a house or getting a house renovated, it was just it was hugely complex. It was hugely stressful. No one could get their head around it. And because yeah. the whole interface with the construction industry just it, it 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 isn't designed for the consumer anyway. It's designed no. for the whole infrastructure that supports the industry. So yeah. I wanted to create a service where the consumer could come to one company 
and say, this is my budget. This is what I want out of it. And look, I expect a reasonable timeline. And if you're going to make promises to me, keep them. Sounds very basic, uh, but you'd be surprised how hard that is to get. So, so that's what we said about doing. And we, we, we were, I was studying the design and build model, which is where one company does everything. One company does the design, the project management, the build, uh, and the whole lot end to end. That's design and build. It's very popular in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, California, and what have you, but not hugely popular as yet, or it wasn't then, in, in Ireland and, and uh, the UK. So I flew to New Zealand and studied it in New Zealand. I got to meet various wow. um, directors of design and build companies in New Zealand who do an awful lot of it. And at the time, New Zealand, the, the New Zealand economy was doing an awful lot better than the Irish economy, even during the financial crisis. So I came back to Ireland and kind of and changed the building company I had, KMC Homes, a little bit so that we could offer design and build because I'm a civil engineer myself. As I say, I have all that kind of um, big company experience in project management. Mm-hmm. And, else. and I work with loads of architects and engineers and QSs and BR consultants and, of course, all the subcontractors in the building uh, game. So I, I kind of had everyone there. It's just I needed to kind of relook at how they were managed and how we could manage them. So rather than um, someone looking to get an extension and then the first thing they, well, they might not even know what the first stage is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, where do you start? I mean, I know that's what today's podcast got me a little bit about. Like, where do you start if you want, shall we say, an extension or a renovation? And I thought, you know, there, that's a complex enough question. And if you start yeah. at the wrong, if you start with the wrong person, it will drive the project a certain way, and it may not be the way you want it to go. So I thought we need to be able to offer all the services, but in a very easy and simple and approachable format, so that people could come to us and go, "Look, I have fifty thousand euros. I want a small little extension inside of my house." And basically, the reason is because my family, we just had another baby. And no, there's, there's too much going on in the kitchen dining area and we need a bit more space. And we ha- we only have 50,000 euros, even though that's a lot of money. What can we do to improve our house to, um, to you know, for the betterment of our family and lifestyle and everything else? Um, and then we'd have to come back with options on what you could achieve for 50,000 euros. And yeah put and drag them with the client until they go, yeah, I'm happy with option C and then put it all together. Do they need planning? Then when all is said and done to actually build it for the 50,000 euros with a little bit of contingency monies and uh, and execute it and then hand it over and certify it and everything else. So that sounds very simple, but there's an awful lot of parts to that. Um, so, so, so we really wanted to be the kind of customer service end of the building industry because building industry the way it's set up doesn't automatically offer customer service and that approachable um, uh, entity. Yeah. So, so, so that's what we do, KMC Homes in Cork and now Limerick as well. Love it. You really did your due diligence going all the way to New Zealand. Yeah. I, I know when um, when Ryanair was starting that Michael O'Leary flew out to uh, to meet Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines to work out how the, the low-cost um, business model worked. And I thought, yeah. you know, that's that's a guy who's who knows what he's doing and has shown himself to be a great businessman and i thought i need to do something similar to find out how the design and build business model works so yeah yeah it was yeah yeah cool thank you for walking us through all that that's that's really interesting and and i agree a lot of people 
are terrified of doing works on their house because all you hear about are kind of nightmare stories of chasing people and delays and not finding a builder and not really understanding what's being said to them. Like it's like people, all these different people are speaking different languages. Um, so it's, it's, I think definitely needed in the industry and the market to put customer service back into it because it's after the house, it's the most anyone's ever going to spend on anything in their lives. And then people can feel really frustrated when they're just not being answered or responded to. And they're like, how is this possible? Like I'm paying so much for this. So that's really cool. Uh, One thing I was going to ask as you're walking through that, obviously when people um, decide that they want an extension, there's reasons for it, like you said. So they, you know, maybe they have the current layout isn't working and they, they think the extension is the solution in what you're discussing obviously, because you're going to consider design, you can offer certain things that if they went directly just to a builder who's like, just needs to line up the job, the builder might not question, do you definitely need an extension? And I've worked with designers who are big onto spatial planning. And something they do is they like what it sounds like KMC does, you come back with options. Well, within your budget, yes, you could extend, but it'll probably, you'll have to sacrifice this and this, or you could relook at the whole layout. So I think there's so many questions that even need to be addressed before you decide, yes, this is the right house for you, or yes, you absolutely need to, to retrofit, or yes, you need to do an extension, right? And that leads us perfectly into our topic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. Like There was a house that we renovated years ago in, in Shannon, and the client came to me and they had a they had a good budget, but as I walked around their existing house, and and they 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 needed a bigger living space, which is usually the issue. I mean, the living space and the utility are usually the biggest areas where people need extra space when their family is growing. Mm. Um, and I walked around their existing house, even though they had a good budget. I thought, geez, you know, by the time you start, this house has no insulation, and there's damp everywhere, and there's no ventilation. The windows are, you know, in need of replacement, whatever. And I thought. These are all big ticket items. I mean, they have a good budget, but when you start taking out a chunk of money for windows and insulation and damp proof and and the kitchen itself and the new boiler and everything else, you'll be half of that budget will be gone fairly quickly. And I thought you'd blow a big chunk of your budget on an extension before you ever get to the house refurb works. So yeah. I walked around and the first thing I would always do was, like you mentioned, Tanya, like I did an audit of the space, even in my head to go, right, they need four bedrooms and they need the master suite and they need the utility and the kitchen and the second living room uh, and a WC. And after that, is there any parts of the house that aren't being used? And they had a garage, which was joined to the house. And they had one or two other rooms that were kind of, there was an old hallway that was kind of discontinued or whatever. So there was bits and pieces of the house that just weren't being used at all. Mm. They they bought the house secondhand from someone else. Uh, So there was rooms that weren't being used and there was rooms they needed. And the whole light orientation wasn't working either. They weren't getting, you know, morning light and evening light and whatever. So we did a, we we took a survey of the existing house and we looked to, the most important thing, in any house design is where is the kitchen going to go because once you've been <laughs> in the right location the dining space comes from the kitchen the living area comes from the kitchen the utility comes from the kitchen the hall leads to the kitchen 
Um, so, and all other rooms have a kind of a lesser priority from there. So once the kitchen's in the right place, the kitchen living, which is generally orientated towards the best daylight, um, mm. your, your front door is probably in the opposite end of the house then, and uh, and your lower profile rooms, um, like utilities and what have you, um, although they do need connection to the garden. But once you've all that right, we still realised there was more rooms that weren't being fully used, and we managed to um, to bring the, the garage into the house by insulating it, and we knocked down walls or whatever. So we actually managed to renovate their house and give them all the rooms they needed, including a larder and walk-in wardrobe that they never had uh, without extending the house at all. And then we we managed to get nicer windows and um, a better boiler and add a bit more on the insulation front and drew up the garden a bit. And we rerouted their driveway to give them a nice sweeping driveway and everything else. So we made a massive difference in the house without actually extending it at all. Uh, so a, an audit on the existing space is hugely important because you can an architect um, can superimpose a new layout over an existing layout and see which walls yep. need to be dropped. And you might find that the new layout is perfectly good without adding at all. You know? Yeah, and you can save so much money with that. I know that we're we're going to talk about numbers and costs, um, but when I started getting into the design industry, and I don't know, I was looking at the cost of buying a property and doing it up, and the cost per square meter to extend is almost the same cost per square meter the guidelines they give anyway as to as for a new build because you're you're putting foundations you're building things from scratch and people see an extension as an easy thing to do but it's actually so much more expensive than renovating uh, the existing four walls am i right yeah well i mean i would see an extension as a higher cost per square foot than a new build because wow uh, okay well like for like um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in a new build, if you're building out in, a, a, you know, in a field or a site or whatever, on a farm, yeah. you have great access. You know, you can bring any size machine up there. You can bring a twenty-ton excavator up there. Whereas an extension, you might have a three-ton digger uh, if you can get it around the side of the house and avoid the gas pipe. Um, or it might be a micro digger, like we've used before, to get in through, bring a digger through the house in between the doorways of the house. So they're tiny diggers and they're very slow. They're hard to operate um, and they take forever. And to get the soil that you've dug out of the foundations back out of the house, it might be a mini dumper or it might be a wheelbarrow. Um, and to bring, wow. to bring the concrete back in then to fill your foundations could be the same thing. So it's very labor intensive and it's a very small machine intensive. So generally the cost per square foot of an extension would be a fair bit higher than a new build. You also okay. have the economies of scale. Like in your new build, you have you have several truckloads of concrete blocks arriving and they're being lifted off with a high up from the, the block truck. Um, whereas in, uh, in an extension, you are barrowing around barrels full of blocks out to the back of the building before the block layer can even start and he's going off oh, look I'm going to be a week doing my block work here instead of eight weeks on that big 4,000 square foot house around the corner in the green field so he's going to charge more for block laying blocks around the back of the extension where he knows he's going to be delayed waiting for the guy to come around with the barrel with the next load of blocks and all that and he's got no big open run of blocks. He's got to work in around the steel beam here. And then he's got to start toothing it into the existing house around the corner. And then there's a bush going in around the corner. He's got to pull that back while he builds the blocks around. So so it's it's kind of heartache everywhere you go uh, for the poor extension builder. Um, 
so so you don't have the economy of scale you have a lot more complexity and the access is is tricky um so uh, so generally it, like builders will discount for that on a, on one off house and they'll add on for it on a on, a, on an extension so uh okay. so are tricky, you know? that's really good to know because i think most people would, would wouldn't would not think that they'd think a, an extension isn't as big a deal as as maybe it is for the, the reasons you said for access and and labor and, and, and the economy of scale. To top all that, you probably have the client living in the house, looking, watching you building the blocks all day out the kitchen. Yeah. So it's very worthwhile to ask yourself these questions. So what we wanted to talk about today, we've already dived into it by asking audit the existing space. So like you said, most commonly people might need that their living space and utility to expand. And the question you said is, is the like, where's the kitchen going to go? Maybe people haven't thought of relocating their kitchen. They think the solution is to extend. Uh, but perhaps as someone's auditing a space, it's looking at the, the overall layout and seeing what is working and what isn't. And maybe an extension can be avoided by rejigging. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time, we we don't do extensions anymore, but we used to do a lot of extension and, and refurb works. And I used to spend a lot of time calling to someone's house and doing an audit by literally walking and talking. They bring me into the house. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, I should have tidied the house before I came in. It's a mess. Now the kids are just back from school and the stuff. And it's a good time to see a house, in truth, because when the mm-hmm. stuff is everywhere, that's, that's where the problems are. Yeah. Um, and I would always, you'd walk around that was like the, the sitting room is always okay. And usually the problems are out the back of the house, the kitchen, the utility, the dining area, the connection to the back garden, where's the boiler, where's the structure as well. Because like you're looking at you're like I'd be looking at it from an architectural end and from an engineering end and from a QS end, right? So I'd look mm-hmm. and go, right, the layout is all wrong. Now, what would I ideally have the layout as? And I go, right, I put the kitchen over there because it's going to get southeast light there and it's going to get nice light in the morning. I put the dining over here next to the kitchen so you can serve into the dining area. And then I want to get a nice westerly or southwesterly aspect um, or even northwesterly in the living area. And I want all that to connect to the garden. So in my head, I have a layout worked out and then I go, right, well, that wall's in the way and that wall is also load bearing because I can look up and see where the joists are on the first floor. So there's a fair bit of an expense there. So, but it's worth it because you should invest in, I'd always invest in your living space and utility first and then step down and start investing lesser amounts. That would be my highest priority spend. Now, sometimes that can mean moving a boiler. That's a significant expense. Um, and sometimes it can be moving um, the ESB board and everything else. So th- th- you're kind of getting into the services then. And you get that right. Then you're looking upstairs to see, have they enough bedrooms? If you if they need an extra bedroom, is it going to be above the new living space and all that? Do they need a two-story extension or a single story? And costs go up kind of exponentially in a two-story then because it's a much bigger project. Back of the envelope, what you're doing is you're walking the house, you're asking them what the problems were, are, and you're asking them what's their budget, right? Because there's no point having this fantastic design and it's twice what they have to spend. And you could you could do that very easily. Um, it, well, it, it could happen very easily. So what's your budget? 50 grand. Okay, you're not going to be extending upstairs, right? It is not going to happen for that kind of money. It's 150 grand. 
Yeah, in today you'd be surprised, even in today's building world, like you will spend a lot of that just on, you know, insulating the house and changing to a condensing boiler and changing um changing the windows and adding a little extension on the ground floor. You'd be surprised how quickly you'll get even through that kind of budget. Um whereas yeah. a lot of a lot of extension remodel works now are going up into 250,000, 300,000 and beyond. Um, because of the, uh, the the price of building uh, products and um, how busy builders are at the moment, um, so their rates are a bit higher. Um, but uh, so you're you're looking at what money have you available? What condition is the existing house in? Because that's a that's a kind of a priority spend. And then what's left over for adding space? As you're adding space, can some if you're knocking down some walls, will that get you all the way home with the additional space, or do you need to extend? And when you extend, you need to go ground floor or two-story. So, and all the time, I mean, initially when you're doing that kind of budget analysis, you're only going to be right to 30 or 40 grand in your head. But if someone has a hundred grand, you go, well, you're not doing any extending. If it's 150, you might manage a small extension depending on the house. If it's 200, you're heading towards maybe a two-story extension, probably closer to 250 and maybe even 300. So you'd have kind of big lump sums in your head and you're trying to get them into the zone as quickly as you can in terms of what is or isn't achievable. And then you start adding detail and what at the end. Okay, I think that that's really helpful. And when people are considering buying a house and they know it, it needs to do work, these are the kind of numbers that they need to think about, right? So they're like, okay, well, we won't go to the edge of our mortgage approval or we'll live in it for a few years and work towards topping up our mortgage with that number in mind. So those numbers are really helpful. But I think one thing that, and you've, you've mentioned this a few times, one thing that throws people off is the kind of invisible suckers of budget, like the the insulation and the windows and just making homes properly suitable for, for the energy and efficiency needs of nowadays. And a home could look completely fine, like maybe an old person's lived in it for the last 30 or 40 years. So it looks like it's been kept in good shape, just needs, you you know, people look at it, they're like, okay, wow, um, just needs some updating. It's a bit old fashioned, take off the wallpaper. But then once you actually live in it, and I know lots of friends who've done this, once you live in it, they're like, it's freezing. And there's only one bathroom downstairs. And then they look at the cost and they're like, how is it possible? that hundred K alone will go into just making it warm. And it, and it feels like you're not getting a lot of money for, for what you're, you know, it, it disappears into the walls. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the biggest issue is like, can you have the house insulated and your life doesn't change? You know, it's not like if they love a new kitchen yeah. and the door of the garden, you go off to look, I can see where the money went and straight away it's barbecue time. And um, when you have the insulation on the room, the room might even have gotten smaller. <laughs> Spent yeah. all that money, you know? um, so it's only when you like that you understand that your heating bills will be way down the living environment yeah. will be better but that that's a that's a slow that's a slow burner in term in terms of um of bringing a smile to your face yeah you spend all the money i think you need to live in a really cold house and be miserable to understand the importance of it <laughs> Um, one interesting fact about insulation is like if you buy a house that was built in the mid 70s onwards you probably have a house built with um 
a cavity block work wall construction. So like mm-hmm. a, a hundred mil block on the outside, a cavity of probably about a hundred mil or four inches in the middle, and then another hundred mil block on the inside. So it's two leaves of block work. So kind of from the mid seventies onwards, uh, on and including today, those houses, any house built in around that time from then onwards has uh, a cavity, right? Um, because it is the big, be- it is the beginnings of today's construction methods. Those houses are much easier to insulate and much cheaper to insulate and much less invasive to insulate than a stone building, particularly, although they are beautiful, are the older houses built in the 40s, 50s and 60s, which have, you know, they have a breeze block or kind of a block on flat, depending on how it was built. When you have the older houses, the, the block on flat ones, they can either be insulated on the outside, which is external insulation, which is the best way to insulate a building, but the most expensive, or you can draw a line them on the inside, but that takes up a big chunk of your internal space. If you buy one, the newer ones, like we said, from the mid seventies onwards, um, they look, let's face it, they probably don't have the character of the older buildings, but you can pump this cavity. Everyone's heard of pumping the cavity. That's how you, you pump the cavity. You inject insulation into it. That gets you quite a good U value on your house. It's not as good as the external insulation, and it may not even be as good as a, a significant amount of dry lining internal insulation, but it's quite good and it's only several thousand to do it. And it could be done in the morning, you wouldn't, oh. even, know, you wouldn't even know it was done, right? Depending wow. on the house now. Uh, it could be done in the morning, you could have those walls pumped, you could have your attic pumped. And, you know, a few days later, it's done and it doesn't look any different from the outside or the inside. And all of a sudden you have a better living environment. So if you're in the market to buy a secondhand house or a third hand house, what have you, and those houses are available and you're really concerned about, oh, you know, the level of retrofit you're going to have to do to get your house up to any kind of a, a, a kind of a modern living environment. They're well worth considering, like the a semi-detached house. Uh, built in the mid seventies, built in the eighties, whatever you, they're they're a lot more straightforward to renovate and particularly insulate, and they have all the the damp proof courses. So you're unlikely, certainly in from the eighties onwards, you're unlikely to get any significant amount of rising damp because they have damp proof courses in them. Whereas the older houses of the sixties and and before that probably don't have, and that's where you're getting into the trickier um, renovation costs. You know. That's a that's a really good point because I think people wouldn't necessarily know that differentiation. They're like, oh, we'll have to insulate it and do all of this. But just knowing that if there's a cavity that's going to save you, you know, stripping everything back. Um, the easiest way to find that out. Really by good. The easiest way to find that out if you yeah. if you're handy with a drill yourself, are you a friend who had you know who's in that space? They can drill the wall. Um, like if they get a long drill bit, if they drill through the inner block for, for yeah. and they the next minute the drill flies out in front of them because they're drilling through the cavity, you know you have a cavity as long as you haven't gone out the far side <laughs> and outside. And um, I love the cavity. scientific approach. Yeah, well, look, we're it's a Saturday morning on a bank holiday yeah. weekend, people, people's <laughs> attention spans are short. Um, so uh, that's the easiest way to find out. There's no other real way of doing it. I mean, that's how tradesmen do it. So, you know, it's pretty easy to do. Um, and if you have that, so, cap, that's much easier. Yeah. And you get a grant for these works, of course. You know? Yeah. And 
but but you could you would have a pretty good feeling that if it's built kind of 70s onwards it would have that because obviously if you're buying something and you haven't bought it yet and you need to have an idea of what that renovation is going to cost they're probably not going to let you drill a hole in the wall before you uh, buy it yeah, mid 70s onwards i mean probably even uh, probably even early 70s but i'd say just to be safe mid 70s onwards right now if even yeah. if you've got a friend who's a tradesman or whatever yeah, they'll probably know even by looking at you you can also kind of measure the depths of the reveals at windows although it's not a it's not a fail-safe way of doing it because if it's been dry lined those already mm. that those those um those dimensions are a bit altered but a tradesman will probably be able to tell you, but the foolproof way okay. is... So, like, suppose you're living in a house at the moment and you've been living there for five mm. years and you own the place and you own a drill, uh, you could go at it, you know, so... Yeah. Okay, that's a really good tip. Um, because, at, so what we've covered is that insulating eats up a lot of budget. Extending eats up a lot of budget. So if there's a way to look at layouts... so. There's a lot of due diligence that can be done before you embark on a project or buy a property that with the help of, you know, even getting somebody to call out for a day, somebody like yourself or an architect or an engineer uh, or a tradesman to see, okay, how is this built? How much will that really cost you? Do you actually need to extend and do you need to extend by that much? There's a lot of things that could save you, you know, 50,000, 100,000 if you if you get people to come in and ask the right question. Yeah, I mean, what I would do looking at a house is I would usually stand at the road first and look at the roof uh, and see how good a condition the roof is in. Like, is it sagging or is it all nicely in line, which means the roof timbers are strong enough? Um, and what condition are the slates in and the lead flashing on the chimney and all that sort of thing. So if the roof looks good and the gutters look good and that there's no gutter missing or kind of the, the fall is even and there's no sign of seeing a house on a wet day, by the way, is also a good way to see it. Um, if you see drips coming out of the gutter, you shouldn't. They should all go down the downpipe so you'll see if the gutter is uh, working or not. Um, and then you look at the masonry, like, is there any cracks on the masonry? Um, no, some, sometimes they can just be old age cracks and somewhat superficial, or sometimes you can see a genuine subsidence. Um, mm. So you, you'd be checking the house kind of structurally, um, both from the facade and from the roof. And generally by looking at the outside, you like if the windows are new, they've, there's been money spent on the house and they've probably done it yeah. with the windows and everything else. If the windows are old, you, you know there hasn't been money spent in 20 years, maybe 30 years. So you get some sense of uh, the house from the outside. Um, and then when you go into the house, I'd always look at the electrics board to see is it the old black one with the black fuses or even the white fuses that 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 needs that house probably needs a rewire if it if it has mm -hmm. uh, fuses. If it has the modern trip switches, the LCB board, uh, there's a good chance it's OK and it might only need a partial rewire depending on what rooms you're moving. And how uh, much could that add to a build? Like if something needs to be rewired? Partially rewired or it's fine. Uh, partial rewire, a few thousand, a full rewire, ooh, depending on the size of the house, 10,000, 15,000. Wow. You know, now, 15,000 is, is, is a full rewire on a big house. Yeah. 10,000 is probably a full rewire on a modest house or a small house. Um, and I would also look at the boiler to see what condition that's in. Like, is it a modern condensing gas or oil boiler? Or is it an old boiler which should be replaced? 
Um, because they're, they're, they're things that you're committed to do. Once you start writing big checks for a house, you can't go, well, we renovated and everything, but we didn't bother doing the boiler because we ran out of money. No, you have to you have to yeah. do the boiler, you have to do the electrics, you probably have to do the you, you may very well have to do the windows. You can't be spending loads of money on the lovely kitchen extension and find out the rest of the house is freezing. You can't do it that way. Like you have to get the the, the whole fabric of the house right and then see, well, what money have we left for the extension? Or even if you got the house right and you said, look, we've the whole house right and we know we're going to be adding on that extension in five years time. But we have the kitchen sorted and with the dining sorted. And when we have, you know, savings allow in five years time um, or get a top up loan or whatever, we know where the extension is going and everything is geared to meet the extension. So there's no major wall knocking apart from the last bit. And the heating pipes are heading the right way. It's an easy extension to add when we have the money because everything is geared for it. That's a way of doing it as well. But I wouldn't be adding the extension and jump back and do the existing house. I get the existing house right first if, if you can at all. Yeah, that's one of the questions I had for you because I think a lot of people will end up in a situation once they they add it all up that they can't do both. And people might think, well, you know, that people always say, well, we might as well do it all. We might as well do it right. But so you're saying you would prefer people to to do it right by phasing it out. So insulate get the new boiler get the new windows but then doesn't it feel like you're undoing a lot of the work like if you're then extending pipes and wiring and you know imagine you've just put down new flooring how you know how wasteful is that if you're then getting people to come back in five years to extend uh, well, the builders would have the pipes going right out to the very end and the, okay. the wire tails going out albeit terminated ready to ready to go and um, like it's by no means an ideal way of doing it and it's by no mm-hmm. means the cheapest way of doing it because now you're having to build bring the builder and his overheads back twice and you've disruption twice and everything else but it might be the only way to like one piece of advice i often give on cheap irish homes is and uh, particularly if you're buying in an area like if you're buying in the heart of Dublin, you're going to pay big money either way. But if you're buying out in the countryside and you feel there's a bit of value there, try and buy a house in the best condition you can possibly afford. Because if you're like there's some house on the show for 150,000, 200,000, which is a lot of money, but compared to what you could be spending in some mm-hmm. of the higher profile parts of Ireland, it's, it's a lot less. If you're getting house in reasonably good condition for that kind of money, you're getting that construction kind of uh, knockdown, if not almost negligible cost. Because if you're buying an old house at good money, you could be spending that money again renovating it. Like we've seen some around the first series, we saw a house that had been renovated because I think an old couple or an old lady had been living there and there's a lot of grant work available for elderly people living in old houses. And the house was externally insulated, which is the best way to extend to insulate a house. There was probably fifteen to twenty thousand euros worth of external insulation on the house and new windows wow. and a new boiler. So anyone buying that house, and the house was at the time 150,000 euros. I mean that. So anyone who's buying the house might never have to do anything to that particular house and just live in it. Okay, put in a new kitchen. I think the kitchen wasn't great, actually. Put in a new kitchen, but I mean, you know, kitchen could be 10 grand, you know, or less if you go to Ikea or something. Um, Mm -hmm. So all they had to do was put in the nice things like the tiles in the kitchen and the timber floors. Um, 
and they had the house basically right. So you can get great value in those kind of places, the cheap Irish homes type, uh, lower profile places, a bit further away from the cities. If you're getting a bargain, try and get a bargain in really good condition in those situations because uh, it's it's more the fact that there's less people bidding on it that you're getting it for a good price. It might it's not necessarily because the house is really in poor condition. So there are some real gems there as well. You know? So you're kind of saying the opposite of that popular adage of like get the the smallest house on the best road, uh, because but usually that might not be in the best condition. So you're saying get get the best condition house because it'll save you a lot of like question marks because people aren't going to have an excellent idea of what that's going to cost and you're going to save yourself lots of time where you can't even live in that house and you might have to pay for other accommodation yeah the smallest house on the best road makes sense uh if, if it's in good condition. <laughs> uh, well, I, I suppose like you, you can see why people would say get the smallest house in the best road. Yeah, because you're living in you know, the, maybe the, the nicest neighborhood, the most affluent neighborhood, and yeah. you have the benefits of all that. But I, I think in Ireland, like we don't really have that luxury. I mean, there's a lot of people really struggling just to get a house. Yeah. Anyway. That's a reason yeah. to their home. So I don't think like that. I, I don't think we're in those times. We're in the times of no. we want to get a house. We want to get moved. We want to get on with our lives. And we have limited budget to do it for every reason. So how do we just get it to work at a yeah. reasonable level? And I think my best advice there would be what I said earlier is like buy a a more modern build, so from the mid-70s onwards, because you may end up doing work to it. It's a lot more straightforward when the walls are blocked. If you need to knock down a wall, it's a block wall, not a stone wall. Stone wall, half the house will come with you when you start taking stone out. The block work, mm-hmm. you can cut it with a handsaw and cut a nice even shape and, and take it out and put in steel beam if you need to. It's reasonably straightforward. Okay, yeah, that's that's all great guidance. And yeah, we're, we're in difficult times, so we're looking for practical solutions. Yeah. And the other thing is that we haven't really talked about is, of course, like planning permission considerations. So a lot of times people will fall in love with old homes, but they end up being listed. So not only do you have a few hurdles there, with you, like you said, you know, with the stone structures and, and older properties that might need rewiring and, and replumbing, but then there's also the, the considerations of the time and additional cost of planning permission. So planning permission because something's listed or if somebody's like, okay, the house is tiny, but it's got a great garden. Let's just build the the biggest extension we can afford. It's 40 square meters is the the max on the ground floor. What is it for second floors? Is it 12.5? Uh, I think it's around 12 square meters. Yeah, I, off the yeah head, 12. I haven't done in a while. Yeah. But it is 40 square meters on the ground floor. And like there, there's even exemptions for, for garages and what have you as well. So yeah, exempt yeah. And garage works in the back house. Now there's all kinds of terms and conditions with these. So you want to get your head around all those or take advice on them. Like the, the rule of thumb with an extension is like, if you can see uh, any part of the extension from the front of the house, are you doing any work to the front of the house? Uh, you need planning. So if you're dramatically yeah. altering the front of the house, uh, you need planning. Um, like extensions within the 40 square meter um, parameter to the rear of the house um, are generally exempt and there are terms and conditions. Yeah. Um, the planning, getting planning, it isn't a phenomenal amount of extra cost to a project. It's a few thousand with, with an architect or whatever you, or an engineer, um, but it does involve at least a three month delay 
it's a bit risky. It can be a little bit risky because you might not get planning the first time, which could cause further yeah. delay again. And it might mean you have to do you spend more fees with the architect to, to get the house redesigned to get it to work second time and all that. So it does it does involve a little bit of risk from that point of view. And several months, three to six months delay, um, for just getting planning and whatever you know. And another thing which some some family have recently come across is, and especially if you're buying these houses built in the 70s, somebody may have already extended it, and that goes into your 40 square meter calculation. So you're like, oh, 40 square meters is loads, but... <laughs> what I have found is like when someone has already extended it, they've generally extended it poorly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're doing well to make sense or make use of the the works they have extended because they might have added mm-hmm. a boiler house, for example, was a popular extension at one stage, or they add a utility room which now is it's taking the high profile garden connection because like houses of old were more utilitarian than they are now because people people valued living space less um, and garden connection less because we've learned an awful lot more about it now. So you, you like we, we we used to often go into houses and we'd have to take apart an old boiler house and knock it so that you could put a nice sliding door from the kitchen into the garden. Whereas in the old days, that yeah. wasn't really a big consideration. Um, I suppose the other thing is like in the older days, extensions were added on as a, almost like a commodity to a house. We need an extension, mm-hmm. so it's an extension shoehorned onto the side of the house without any thought as to what difference that makes to the house itself. Like a house should be designed from the inside out. So you have your kitchen connecting to your dining, connected to your living, connecting to your back garden and utility nearby rather than just shoehorn an extension on the side of the house, which might take room from the centre of the house, or sorry, might take light from the centre of the house um, and will dramatically affect the kind of whole priority list of the different rooms in the centre of the house and what have you. So, uh, so the existing extensions, as you're right to say, do take from your permitted uh, development level, your exempt development level, and it could be that you need to knock them anyway because they, 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 they're they probably in the wrong place or taking a valuable indoor-outdoor connection space or, or living space. If you're bringing your dining area out or your, your living area out, they're probably, they, you know, it's probably a boiler house that you're that you're knocking on old out downstairs loo that's in the, in the way of yeah. sliding door or something, you know? And that can eat up some more budget too. So if you're looking at a house and having somebody who can come and see this was added at a later stage that's going to cost you because you have to undo this then rebuild these walls properly right poor spatial design is a negative like your the blank canvas is sometimes is better because the original house design was probably good it's mm-hmm. just the bits added have probably detracted from it because they don't really take a whole lot of consideration into how the original house was designed whereas you would be looking to plug back into the existing design of the house keep what's good remove what isn't working and then add in a row in that you know so let's say somebody's come to you and you've figured out you know how much you're going to extend or you know they understand what things are going to cost they understand the importance of of the windows the insulation um you know maybe it's, it seems like if you're going to do all of that in a medium-sized house you're looking at you're, you're in the 150k range either with a small extension or or maybe renovating your whole house to to a decent level um how how does a renovation move forward from there like if someone's like okay we're we need to do this we're going to do it okay. what happens next okay so i'll tell you yeah so 
and the 150 for a small extension and renovate the house would be the start of the letter, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's 150 heading up towards two, maybe even beyond. Start with the budget. So look at what look at what look at what you're trying to get out of the project, list it all out, and then have the budget. So those are the two things you're trying to get to marry up. So we know we need more space and the existing house uh, needs a lot of work done to it to bring it on to improve the energy levels of the house, the energy efficiency levels of the house. So what I would do is I would engage an architect to design the house, but I would have already told him uh, or her, we don't have the budget for two story. Right. So I, I'd have a sense of what can be achieved for the budget in broad strokes. I would say, look, we can really only extend on the ground floor. We can't put in the extra bedroom. The budget just isn't there. It may be that we extend over the flat roof ground floor extension at some stage, but in the extra bedroom. So let's just keep that in the back of our head when we're playing around with the stairs. But other than that, we're 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 down to ground floor extension um, of roughly X square meters. Um, and then re- remodeling the house and we're renovating the house. The architect will draw the ground floor extension. You would generally get the architect or maybe an engineer to detail up the works that need to be on the existing house in terms of insulation and the new windows and the boiler and the electrical works and everything else. Uh, and ideally, you'd have a QS as well, right? So mm-hmm. the, you have the existing house brief in terms of insulation and the windows and everything else. You work out roughly how much that's going to cost. It might cost, say, 100 grand. So your budget is, we'll say, 175 for argument's sake. We mm-hmm. know the existing house is going to cost 100 grand just to bring it on into the 21st century. Um, so we have 75,000 euros left for the extension. And we know we can build an extension of a certain size for, we'll say, 55,000. And we need 20,000 mm-hmm. for locking the walls and um, putting in the new kitchen and odds and ends are going around that. So these are very broad strokes. So we know what we need. We know what we have in terms of budget-wise. We know a lot of the budget is committed to the existing house and what's left over then is left for the extension. So before we'd be lodging for planning permission, we would have the drawings of the extension, a spec for the existing house, and a broad strokes budget from a QS. So we've architect, engineer, and QS involved, ideally. And they all need to be kind of managed, right? Or sometimes the architect might do a lot of that work. Um, mm-hmm. When we do design and build, that's kind of what I do. So I manage the architect, the engineer, the QS. Um, then we're lodging for planning permission. When it comes out and we get planning permission, then the engineer has to do another level of drawings to design the steel beams and the concrete foundations. And all. You all you do all that once you have planning permission, because if anything had to change with the design and the extension to get planning, those drawings, you know, the, the next level of detail is only done at that point. Um, then you're doing a finalized costing. Um, you have an input from the BER assessor now as well, with all the, um, the installations and the air tightness and the different kinds of windows you're using. You might be starting to look at grants now as well, now that you have your, um, your BER assessor involved because you can get grants for the insulation um, and grants for the windows and grants for upgrading your boiler and heating controls. Um, you won't get any grants for the new build works. Uh, and then you are signing your building agreement with the builder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so t- tender stage. You're going out. Yeah, you have all the drawings there. So you're going out yeah. um, with your drawings, looking for several builders. Um, and then once you're happy with your builder, then you're at the building agreement stage. 
when you're looking for builders, like it may be that your architect has a few builders he likes to work with. And obviously the relationship between the architect and the builders is very important. Um, so he might have a few builders he likes to work with. You may have a builder or two that your family or friends or whatever you might be recommending. Um, ideally, someone who's familiar with that style of work and works in that local area. Because like building is very specialized. You might have a one-off house builder or you might have an extension builder or you might have someone who builds warehouses. So you need someone who's used to that kind of private extension work because it's a particular type of work and mm. a particular type of builder. And he, he needs certain machinery. He needs the right people as well. I mean, the, it, it isn't everyone that you would have in working around an existing house in an existing built-up neighborhood and whatever. So you, you choose your builder based on a combination of the rapport he has with the with the team how you you know your gut feeling um his testimonials either from the architect or from your friends and family and of course the best price like you know the, the best fit as long as the price works with you and everything else i wouldn't always be going with the cheapest builder because usually like the cheapest guy is someone who might have made a mistake in the pricing and that will come out halfway through the job. And, and you might find you're better off. Like you'll get a, you generally, uh, someone who's who prices in a little bit more, it could very well be a better builder or someone who's going to finish a bit quicker. Or mm-hmm. the quality of the, the construction will be better because he's, he's using better people. Like people often say, oh, sure, I'd love the, to get the cheapest builder. That'd be great. Yeah, but you wouldn't go out looking for the cheapest tiler you know yeah. or the cheapest painter are the cheapest guy to put down your lovely patio styles you're going yeah so, it all translates <laughs> it all translates yeah, yeah. Um, so you want value you want a good builder at a good price you know some, someone that you're happy with and and someone the way i always think of this even when i'm appointing a subcontractor is if something goes wrong on a sunday night in the middle of winter in three years time when your warranties are no longer there, will you be able to pick up the phone to this individual and will they pop around Monday morning to, to fix it? Yeah. So, Like, is it somebody reasonable who you can have decent communication with? <laughs> yeah, someone reliable and someone yeah. who will look out for you and has your best interests at heart as well. And um, so I, I think that's a good, that's a good yardstick way to hear. And I'm not sure if this is done, but um, if you're, if you know, you've gotten, uh, a recommendation for for a builder, but you maybe haven't seen any of the houses they've worked on. Is it kind of normal to be like, could I go see this house? Oh yeah, and some builders will, will definitely yeah. offer that service. Like we we've often done it. Um, I yeah. would often give people Google. Only last week we had a proposal signed, and I gave a client um, Google Maps pins for three houses we'd built in the local area. Okay. So he could call to the house. He could he could he just drive past. He could call. Um, if he wants a client's numbers, you can have the client's numbers and try to wait them. So, like, if you're doing good work, you'll be proud of the work you've of left course. behind, and yeah. you know that if some, like, for me, I know if someone asks to speak to a previous client, I know they're serious about the job, and I, I, I'm happy that our previous clients will be, will, you know, that they'll have had a good experience, and that that the whole pro- sales process will move along quicker because. You know, a, a, a previous client will sell a project for you much quicker than you will. Like if a builder doesn't have plenty of work they can show and plenty of clients' names they can pass along, you you kind of wonder why really. Yeah, yeah, and I think if you just get like, oh, my father-in-law's best friend's cousin is a builder, you should use him. You know, he's really cheap. And then, you know, yeah. you end up in a situation. I've seen a lot of 
a lot of things gone wrong. Like, I, I, yeah, I've seen a lot of things gone wrong. And it's not just in the building game either. It could be, yeah, well, my uncle was a draftsman years ago and he said he'd do some drawings for me. Yeah. And I the drawings going, geez, like, the, the, if the drawings are wrong, everything's wrong because it's charged mm. drawing. So I know they didn't charge you much, if anything at all, but that's, that's, it's not worth, it's not worth building that design. Like, it's not going to work for you. Um, yeah. So uh, you have to invest here. Like, it is big money. And if it goes wrong, it's even bigger money. Um, so uh, you would write like because um, you don't want to be doing it again, you know. And it's and I've seen people, I've seen people that made that mistake. Um, like uh, some people have gone straight into an extension, and uh, we, were, we were involved in a project years ago where a client had got. Um, client went to a builder. I don't know how they came across the builder, but they went to the builder and they wanted to get their living space redone. And um, they got chatting with this builder where they got on well with and the builder said, oh, that's very easy to do and there's no problem doing this and that and the other. And they said, well, look, we're going to go off and get an architect first and um, sure, look, once the drawing's done, we'll give you a shout and we'll work away. And the builder said, there's no point getting an architect. Like, should we know what we need to do? I mean, an architect's a complete waste of money as far as I can see. Why don't we just plow ahead? It doesn't need, I'd say it doesn't need planning. Um, and sure, why don't we just crack on, you know, and when, when can you move out? You know, and off they went. They spent a hundred thousand euros. They got the extension done, and there was no real. I, I, I don't think there was any problems with planning, or we weren't told there were any. But like seven or eight years later, they kind of realized that it didn't really work for them. They didn't have great light. They didn't have enough space. The utility was a bit too small. All the rooms were suffering now as well because there was no kind of internal rooms that were getting no light because of the extension and everything else. So. Day one, when it's nice and new, it's fantastic. And after a while, do you know what? This does not work. And they ended up bringing us in with an architect to redesign the whole lot. We went for planning. We also had to kind of keep most of it because there's no point taking it down. And you couldn't put that expense someone's way. But uh, so we were stuck with a portion of it um, and just trying to make sense of it, really. We, and we got there at the end. No, we probably only got like you still had to work with the existing building, but uh, but it was certainly dramatically improved. But you do need all the people like, I mean, there's architects there for a reason for spatial planning and to bring light flow and good quality space to your home. Um, and to deal with planning permission, then you have the engineers who are doing all the structural work to make sure everything works and stands up and to meet all the building regulations and everything else. And then you have the builders. I mean, a block layer isn't going to turn around and do the plumbing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a tiler isn't going to turn around and start plastering your wall. It's like everyone has their own specialities. They just need to be managed appropriately then through, through the process. You know? Yeah, and I think you've actually answered one of the big questions that I was going to ask is sometimes people might think, well, this isn't that big a job. Like, do I even need an architect? Um, But maybe if something's a small job, they could just hire an architect just for initial plans, for the initial consideration, right? But then they need to understand, like you're saying, who is managing all these people? Uh, Because if it's not the architect, the builder's not going to manage it for you. Uh, The engineer is going to come in when he's needed. So that's going to be you while juggling life and work, uh, having to move out. Um, so there's cost every trade-off that you, every person that you don't hire, right? Yeah, I mean, that that is the issue. I mean, like, it, and to be honest, even if, even if you have an architect and uh, 
throughout the project and an engineer and a QS and the builders, they're all still separately appointed by you. Yeah. You are still the common denominator. So you still have a project management uh, responsibility. Um, Like the only way of avoiding most of that is the design and build setup where the, the design and build company does most of that and you have an awful lot less responsibility because most of that responsibility relies with them. But when they're all separately um, set up by you and contracted by you, you still have a level of responsibility. Um, mm. To your point there, like if you just have the Arctic for an initial few sketches and um, and you're reasonably practically minded yourself and you have some idea of how it all comes together, you'll have to bring in the engineer at a stage to do the structural analysis. You will have to get the building, you will have to either get a QS or go out with the drawings yourself to the market and get several prices back and be able to review them. You won't understand the the, the bills of quantities to come back. You won't yeah. understand the nuances between them, no matter how, uh, unless you're a QS, no matter how um, deeply you look at it. Um, so you so you will, there will be things you will have missed. And there'll be also things the builders have missed, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you'll be going to the project with a lot of risk. Because when you have all these moving parts and you're the only common denominator, you're in the position of you are the project manager and you have all that risk. And that's where the stress comes in. I mean, I work as a kind of full time project manager in my company and it's a stressful job. Um, <laughs> and you're an expert in it. <laughs> so imagine yeah. not and we have we have it down to a fine art and we have project management software and we've foreman working and I've two different QSs I use and we like we I've two ladies doing bookkeeping and everything in the office and they also do an awful lot of the kind of day-to-day QSing bits and pieces we're all hands on deck on this all day long and it's still hard so someone taking it up um on the fly in the middle of managing a busy home life and their day-to-day job uh it's it's it, yeah that's tough going it will go wrong at some level in, in yeah. that like my day today goes wrong so there's <laughs> stressful bits um, when you're not practiced at it it'll just go more wrong it'll be more stressful and you'll end up paying the money anyway you know? of course so the qs is another one you shouldn't skip uh yeah if you could yeah if you could justify it yeah i mean if it's over 50 grand yeah i mean under 50 grand there isn't that much really to cost but sure um, and you like if you're getting the house insulated, you can get that priced from an outfit who does dry lining. They'll they'll go sure. up and all the walls and give you square meterages, and you go all right. Well, look, sure, I know what that quote is. I know what the plumber's quote is. And I know what the electrician's quote is. Um, but there's things then like builders work. So you might go, oh, the electrician doesn't do his own chasing. So like he's not going to cut all the grooves in the wall to put in the, the wires. Who's doing that? And he's going, well, you are. And you're going, well, I haven't allowed for that. Oh, so I need to get a chasing company. Never thought of that. Um, and the plumber also needs it, and he might need the floors hacked up to put pipes in the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, so the next minute, there's five grand's worth of chasing that you hadn't allowed for. And then all the pipes are back in, and then there's a pipe that needs to be covered over because it's in the corner of a wall or something. And now you need to get a plasterboard to cover that and plaster it uh, to conceal it. And that there, they're called box outs, or the, the four inch pipe coming from your loo upstairs or whatever. They're called box outs. And that's something you mightn't have um, catered for either. So now you're getting mm-hmm. the a slabbing company or a carpenter or something to box out all those, and then there's extra money in painting. So there are all these little bits that float around uh, between subcontractors are the bits that can that can really add up time wise and or it's money wise and time wise at the end of the project. You know? 
and the the things you don't know, you don't know, and you usually find out too late, and like a whole wall's been plastered, and somebody needs something from there. That's coordination, <laughs> then. Yeah, that's coordination. yeah. So um, all these things, like an experienced um, foreman, will know all that's coming, and you know, as will um, a QS. A QS will leave it an allowance for a thing called builder's work, so he gets the plumber's yeah. price. And he puts on a percentage for builder's work, which is the chasing and the box outs. And he'll get the uh, the electrician's price. He'll put on a percentage as well. And the biggest one is the ventilation. You're putting in ventilation into an old house and you demand control ventilation systems or mm-hmm. ventilation systems. There's a world of boxing out and coring holes and walls so they can get the pipes through and everything else. So that's the, the, the builder's work for ventilation is very high. You know, you know. And with the QS, one thing that I've seen is if you don't specify to the QS or to the builder, once you've decided on this job, once you've designed it, if you just let people cost for things without having an understanding of all the different spec levels for a bathroom and for a kitchen, particularly, you might be like, okay, great. We're going to get it done for like, like we're talking about 175 K. But if you had in mind this beautiful kitchen that you've seen at this really nice kitchen showroom, um, and then the builder's like, well, absolutely not. This is what we had costed for. It's a 15K kitchen, not a 40K kitchen. Um, so you need to put in some spec levels into that because otherwise the PC sums that can be put in are quite conservative, right? Hmm. Like QS is when they're, when they're vetting three tenders, they'll generally remove the PC sums out of the tenders. Okay. What okay. For the building work. And then they'll go, right, who's the most competitive then for the building work? And then they'll add on their own PC sums afterwards. So that's a good way of, of checking all that. Um, I, I, you, you could that yourself. Like you, you, could, you could just say um, bathroomware by client, kitchen by client, tiles. Uh, or you could, you could, yeah, you know, tiles supply by client and whatever. You, you could do all mm-hmm. that and then add those in later on yourself. When you appoint a builder, you could say, look, let's put in 20 grand X fat for the kitchen. Um, now, the important thing with things like tiles and floors and doors is if you were to buy those products in a shop yourself, you're buying them at a higher VAT rate than the builder yeah. can supply and fit them for. So you're much sure. better off to work out how much you want per square foot for your um, for or per square meter for your tiles um, or per square yard of it, as are often um, as are often quoted. Uh, and then tell the builder and given given the PC sum that works for you in term for for tile supply, and um, and uh, and then he he let him supply and fit them because then you'll you'll get a, a lesser VAT rate because builders are entitled to charge less when they're supplying and fit something. So so that that's a that's a definitely a tip worth noting. It doesn't matter for kitchens because your kitchen company is supplying and fitting. You're you're getting that at the lower VAT rate, but certainly for tiles, for internal doors, for iron mongery. Um, and for bathroom wear, you could save a fair bit of money in VAT just by getting the builder to supply and fit them. Of course. And just logistically, the more that is included in the overall works for the builder, they they then can manage, okay, this needs to be ordered by that date so we can get it in. Yeah. If you take it out of their responsibility and something hasn't been ordered on time when it has to go in, that can have huge knock-on effects yeah. on, on a project. So what what I think can be helpful for people, these are the things that you know, somebody can go to tile style and look at tiles and say, I like this, I don't like that. And they can get an idea of like, okay, the kind of tiles I liked were, you know, uh, 90 euro per, per square meter. 
off the shelf, you know, retail price, the same for the kitchen, so that they at least know that the, the final price they get is realistic, because otherwise, the numbers that people come back with for, for sanitaryware and kitchen are very bare minimum compared to the expectations people have with Instagram and Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we have talked through a lot and I have taken up enough of your Easter Saturday, uh, but do you have any kind of parting words of advice for people who are thinking now, like, God, should I wait? The market's crazy. Our costs going up. Like how, how do I even wrap my head around buying in this market? You mean in terms of buying a house? Yeah. Buying and or, or renovating. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose like you, you, the, the from an inflation point of view, I think a lot of the inflation is in it is in the market now from a from a building cost point of view. Um materials are at that high level now. Um and this year most people are cautiously optimistic that things are going to kind of hold as they are and some things are coming back a little bit like steel has come mm. back a little bit and timbers come back a little bit and a lot of insulations are kind of holding their level. Um, whereas this, these, these things were going up by the week at one stage, um, block, okay. I got a text from a block player this morning saying, had we any work coming up? So that's not something we've wow. done in years. Um, so, so the market has definitely changed a little bit now with the, ins, with interest rates gone up, um, and with mm-hmm. all the inflation already in the market. I can't see it getting any busier, but we are at that high level now. Is no one knows what next year is going to be like, or what or what the interest rates are going to be like um, next year. Um, but the whole world is just busier now because of um, the, the you know what's what's happened with during COVID and all the money that was spent bringing keeping people's salaries employed and everything, all the money that was poured into the world economy. It just it's just brought about in inflation that we're dealing with now. So it, it's a very hard market to read globally. And uh, as you say, like, what does that mean to someone thinking of uh, building a home or buying a home or renovating a home? What I what I would always tell people is if you have uh, a child, three, a child, five, a child, seven, and you're wondering, should you get that extension or not? Like you might like if you have a reasonable budget and we've always spoken about kind of budgets today. So maybe there might be some um, kind of worthwhile information there. But if you have if you can afford it, like your children aren't going to be there forever either. You know, I mean, they're mm. coming to age when they're 13, 15 and 17 and the 17 year old year old might be thinking about, you know, going off and doing a trade or going off to college or whatever. You, and, you know, then mm. they're gone and then there'll be there'll be one less child and then eventually there'll be no children at home. At the time you have at home with your children, um, if you have children, is very precious. So uh, you might go, oh, sure, look, we'll wait five years and things um, even out. And then your one child down, <laughs> one child is flown the next. <laughs> um, so, uh, so look, th- th- that time at home is very precious. Um, if you can afford it, I probably would do it. If you can't, you can't. Um, I would do it because I just think, like, you won't get those years back. You know, I I know talking to my yeah. parents and they see grandchildren, whatever you at home, they go, God, I remember when you were young and all that. And I look, I remember I look very fondly in those days and everything else. So, um, you know, we're not going to live forever, you know. So, yeah. uh, so make the best of the time you have, I suppose. Really, you know? Yeah. And that advice, I think, can also apply if someone if your living conditions aren't comfortable, uh, if you're tired of, of renting and pouring money down the drain, like maybe proceed but with caution in in, in the yeah. current market if you have the the ability to do yeah. so uh, because like you said 
Thanks so much for that. And um, if people want to learn more about KMC and it seems like the design, uh, you've figured out the design and build model, um, do you service mainly Cork and surrounding counties or is it the whole country? What should people yeah. know? Uh, at the moment, we are serving a commutable distance of Cork City and no, mm-hmm. and no um, in the last two years, a commutable distance of Limerick City. Um, so it's kmchomes.ie is the website. And if you want more building tips or Q&As or what have you, um, I'm always 24-7 on Instagram, as you know, Tanya. Um, <laughs> And that's at Kieran KMC. So I'm always giving tips and um, and reels or what have you on uh, various building ideas and uh, design ideas and everything else. So um, yeah, that's and me. the podcast. Yeah, and the podcast built around you podcast as well. Yeah, 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 on Spotify. Yeah, if you want to get really nerdy about um, insulation and block work and all of that. The, the podcast offers some some really insightful information that if people want to dive deeper into the conversation we had today, I think that's a great follow-up. Um, if you want to get really technical as you're approaching a renovation, the more educated you are, the better you'll be able to navigate those discussions when you're talking with, with all the people in the industry. Thanks so much, Kieran. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you on TV shortly, I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks yeah, so much. Next, next September, we're shooting season four now. So next September, we should be on, on air again. You know, Amazing. Amazing. We'll look forward to that. Thank you for tuning in to the Interiors Podcast. To learn more about our guests or anything we mentioned today, please refer back to the show notes. You can also follow along with us on Instagram at the Interiors Podcast or on my Instagram account, Tanya Neufeld Flanagan. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please subscribe, follow, leave a review, and share the podcast with friends and family. Thank you so much, and see you here next time.